Hi, I'm your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to My Weirdest Experience Podcast. This is the podcast of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. It's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I have Hollywood Capone here. He's an author of a book called The Ashes that he published in 2020. And basically it's a story of a childhood friend of his that passed away and his experience with that. So welcome to the show, Hollywood. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So I look forward to hearing your story um, and just take it away when you're ready. Well, you know what? Um, I guess I'll take it away at the beginning. Um, um, I'll start with my relationship with, with my buddy. Uh, you know, I wrote this book kind of not so much out of desperation, but as a, um, as a tool to, to more or less help me hone in on what I was going through at this particular time. Um, yeah, I was really broken up by the whole thing is a, a very good friend of mine, someone I've known closely since the fifth grade. And, you know, you have people in, in, in your life as, as you grow and some people there long-term, you know, and, and this was a man that was in my life for almost as long as I can remember my life in all kinds of ways. And, uh, and when the end of his life came, I was, there was this large hole that I was having a problem with. And um, so I sat down one day in front of my computer. I said, well, let me write a paragraph and tell myself how I'm feeling about this. And then maybe it'll help me, you know, reflect on it or, or help me put it together in a way, you know, I can make some sense of it and, and move on and be done with it, you know? And uh, I started writing a paragraph and then that paragraph turned into another paragraph and those paragraphs turned into a chapter and that chapter turned into two and four and five and so on and so on until I had a cool little story on my hands that was more or less a, um, a combination of, of factual events that were happening and, and a fictional way of explaining it. And as I go through the book, it's, um, I, I, I tell the story of myself almost as in a, a dream state where I'm I'm taken away and uh, I'm transported into another place in time where I'm more like watching these events unfold to these two young guys, a, a younger version of myself who I call the cowboy and a younger version of my buddy who was, you know, called the kid because that's ultimately his last name. And, um, and as I watch this whole thing unfold, I, I tell the tale about it. And the way I try to tell it is, uh, you know, put as much, fact in the fiction as I can so if anybody knows these two characters and there's a few people that do you know still left on the planet um, they might be able to put two and two together and, and, and get the gist of what I'm talking about in the story and um, I mean the story the reality of the story is he fell off of a roof and and he was in intensive care for a number of days and at some point they decided to pull the plug and and they did and almost immediately after the end uh, he was cremated and there was never any real service or or sort of um, you know 
announcement of the end or, you know, some kind of way to just let everybody know that, you know, this happened and, and, you know, here's where the future lies, which is, you know, what happens mostly when, when someone passes away. Um, in this particular instance is his parents and God love them. I've known them for my entire life as well, almost. Um, but they just decided they wanted to keep it very private. And, you know, immediately after he passed, they had him cremated. There was, there was no service. There was no nothing. And it was almost to me, like he had evaporated, like somehow he was erased from the world. And that's so kind of the way. How did he fall off a roof? Oh, it's a ridiculous story. His, um, <laughs> his grandmother and his parents and, and he also lived all in this uh, small town up north of here. Uh, called Mawa. It was a very small town that's grown over the years, but still there's a, a lot of smallness to it. Um, and they own a few uh, homes in the town. And uh, his grandmother was living in this house that she owned for, you know, the length of her marriage and life. And she was probably about 90 at the time this happened. So she was probably in this house like 50 or 60 years. And there was a piece of trim, a molding, like about this big, that was from one of the, um, the upper... Um, I guess, uh, you know, tears in a house where the roof comes together and things like that. Um, and he insisted, he, he wanted to go up there and put this piece back on. He had some guys painting the house. He had a couple of contractors. And um, the story was that uh, the contractors uh, don't do, you know, any woodwork or anything like that. So if he wanted to trim, he'd have to go up there and put the piece on himself, which is what he decided to do. But to get all the way to the peak of this house, he had to put together this Rube Goldberg sequence of ladders and ways to get up there and uh and he did and when he got up there one of the ladders slipped and and the rest was pretty much history he fell all the way down and uh, um and never recovered and never came out of a coma and it's just a sad story it's uh it was a bummer because that day earlier in the day i was talking to him I and mean, we him and i used to text all the time and and you know it was just goofy texts and you know whatever and um Earlier in the day, we were texting, and and then I never heard back from him. And then the next day, his mom texted me on his phone, basically spelling out to me what had happened, and and the rest was really just more or less an extension of the end. It, it never got any better from that moment on. So he was alone with the contractors, and he decided to go up there by himself. Exactly. And uh, you know, it's uh, he he's one of these people, and I go over this briefly in the book. He, he's one of these people that just, he's had this really good luck his whole life. And, uh, <laughs> he I mean, ran out of luck. <laughs> and, and, you know, that could be it. I mean, that could have been the day that he just ran out of luck, you know, because I mean, I've seen him do some things that are just like, I, I would look at him, I scratch my head, like, man, you're, you're going to get us both killed here, you know? And, and he would just have this laissez-faire kind of mindset to him. Like, yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, I do this all the time. And, and Maybe well, have you ever had heard of Sylvia Brown? She's a psychic. No, I can't say. That. Okay, she's wrote, written a lot of books, and she talks about how we potentially have five exit points in a lifetime. Okay. Where we could have an accident or get an illness or whatever, and we'll, yeah. there'll be an opportunity for us to be like we're done with this life or we or we want to stay we choose to stay hmm. i always thought that was fascinating because hmm. if you look back on your life or my life you probably can look at possible exit points and but you're you and i are still here so <laughs> we've decided 
you know, no, we're going to keep going. Well, that makes a lot of sense because there have been some times where I've gotten out of something by the skin of my teeth. And, uh, you know, I was like, okay, I'm pretty grateful to be here right now. And right. happened more than once. So yeah, me too. I've wrecked, like I've wrecked two cars and walked away with just like a bruise. That's so, <laughs> my angels are really good. <laughs> uh, and, and you weren't, and you weren't ready to call it quits yet either. So no, that. no, there's too, much, there's too much to do. There's, there's too much life yeah. to live. Yeah. So you wrote the book like a fiction book. Yes. I, I, yeah. I go back and forth between, um, I start the book with, uh, you know, some intros and, and some introspection. And then basically I take myself um, into the hospital and, you know, some you know, cursory, um, you know, descriptions about, you know, what was going on in there without getting into too much detail. But, and I, I take it back and forth between there. And then I put the two characters in this desert down in South New Jersey. It's a place called the Pine Barrens. There's really not much down there, just pine trees and sand and more pine trees and sand and it's a it's a place i use because my friend alan and i had gone camping down there many many times when we were younger isn't and, that uh, where they have the what's the name of that creature that people see in the pine barrens oh the jersey devil yeah yeah well have you seen it i've never seen the jersey devil but i've seen some devils down there there's some very <laughs> strange and unusual people that camp down there in the summertime and uh i mean back in the day when we were late teens i mean we were camping down there from i guess maybe the time that i was probably early teens all the way through to you know graduation year high school and uh we would camp down there and at some point you know we started bringing um you know we would make um you know customized dune buggies and things like that for off-road use and there'll be a lot of guys down there with four-wheel drive pickup trucks jeeps dune buggies dirt bikes all kinds of stuff and it was just this whole almost like a, a road warrior kind of feel down there where it was uh, anarchy and anything goes. And uh, it was a pretty formative time in my life because I've never seen anything like it since. And I never saw anything like it before. But the years that we were going down there, it was just, it was amazing. It was, um, it was a place where we could go and we were, you know, very young and, you know, we wouldn't have our parents hovering over us. We would just go down there and, you know, just rip around this one large section of it. They called it the moon. And uh, it was just a desert. It was a, a wasteland. And we would just, be spending a, a long weekend you know a memorial day or labor day weekend down there just you know, yeah. hanging out with strange people and and doing you know interesting things and and i put that in the book uh, as the story unfolds i use that as a place as a destination for this for this whole unwinding of of alan's life uh, and i i talk about his uh how he was cremated but i don't really go into him being cremated i i tell the story as um there's a giant snake of fire that eventually consumes him. And, um, and that kind of lends um, the story some credence because in the, in the end, in reality, uh, he was consumed by fire. And then after that, there wasn't anything left of him. So uh, what do you think was why his parents didn't want to do a funeral service or memorial service? You know, there's, there's, a, I wish I knew a reason. I mean, I, I can think of a couple different reasons. And, you know, they're very, um, Alan, Alan has one brother and both of his parents. And from the time that I've known the family, they, they weren't really very, very touchy-feely people. They weren't very, you know, 
um, emotional people. And that's not to say that they, they weren't caring because they were, they were very kind and caring people. Alan's mom was my math teacher. She's a wonderful person. It's just that they weren't very emotional and touchy feely in any kind of way. And, and Alan was, Alan was the opposite of that. Alan would, if he, Alan saw you at a party and even if he didn't know you, he'd come up and put his arm around and be like, Hey, how you doing? My name's Alan. What's your name? And then the conversation would ensue. He was just so vocal and so personable. And, and they were really the opposite of that. And I think when it really came down to, you know, where the rubber met the road at the end, I think they were so hurt by everything that they just, they just wanted to put it past them as quickly as possible. And, and that was the way that they chose to do it. So the day he had the accident, did you have any kind of inkling something happened to him? Yeah, I, I, I thought something happened, but I see again with Alan, like sometimes he gets into these things where, yeah, he may just meet somebody out of blue and that's, they, they could say something like, hey, you know, homie, we're, we're going camping today. You want to come? And he might have all these other plans and it would just seem like a great idea to him. He'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's go. And then I wouldn't hear from him for two days, you know? And yeah. uh, so that was always a possibility, you know, but he was also the guy at, I mean, uh, to my wife's chagrin, like 4.30 in the morning, I'd be getting texts and I sleep with my phone laying on the side of the bed and sometimes at 4.35 o'clock in the morning, my phone would be going off and he'd be sending me, you know, political texts or his opinion on something. And, and it was just, you know, how life went. So later that day, as I, I had texted him a number more times um, and he didn't answer, I thought he either got, you know, distracted by something or they got into something bigger and better. And eventually I'd hear from him and unfortunately it didn't work out that way. Yeah. So what happened after this? Like, did you have any dreams about him? Did you feel his energy around you? You know, I, I did it in, in such a way. I, I, I don't know if I felt his energy around me, but I felt his energy the absence of him mm. around me you know mm -hmm. th there was this there was this giant like sucking sound a vacuum of 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 what ifs you know what i mean there was this whole I, I just didn't get it you know i didn't think it would be possible um because it, there's it's so hard to explain to somebody your relationship with someone when that relationship isn't really you know it wasn't like a you know, the relationship of a wife and a husband, or it wasn't even a relationship of a brother. It was just two friends that were just kind of in and out of each other's world for, you know, the better part of 35, 40 years or more, almost 50 years. And then, and then all of a sudden that's not there. And it's, it was just this, this huge letdown, like a, like a, an exhale, but no way of inhaling again, you know, it was this, mm -hmm. um, this evaporation of, of memories and, and and looking back at it in hindsight one of the things that I, I i still one of the things that still rubs me about it is that alan was one of very few people that knew all phases of me i, I met him in the fifth grade so he he knew me when my mother was dressing me in these ridiculous jean suits and and, and you know he would still make fun of me you know up until you know his passing you know things like that but he, he knew me in my early teens and, and he knew me in my late teens and he, he knew you know girls that I dated in high school and I and I knew the same things about him and you know he knew a lot of my challenges I mean I, I didn't have this easy you know yellow brick road that took me all points in my life I had I had some real serious challenges 
and uh, and he knew those challenges, you know, and and he also knew how I bounced back from them, and and it wasn't ever an easy thing. You know, a lot of it was some real hard, serious work, and um, and he was always this guy that uh, would remind me of where I came from and how I got to where I am. And there's really not many people that I'm that close to that that know all those sides of me, and so and that's another story I try and tell in the book too is is there was a huge chunk of me that left the earth with him. Uh, it, it's a piece of me that's never coming back. And it's, it's a piece that, you know, sometimes I, I would like to look at and I, I would find it in him because he would tell me some story about, you know, something that we did some, you know, years ago and it, it would just bring back these memories and, and, and all those things are gone now. They're, they're never coming back. Yeah. I love that about friends that childhood friends, because it's, it's like, you don't have to explain it to them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you could just go back there. Like I, my dad died over 30 years ago and I'm still friends with people that knew him, mm. you know? And so when I post every year on his anniversary of his transition that I miss him, there are quite a few people who remember him too. Um, and there's something special about that, that, you know, cause all my new acquaintances and friends and even my husband never met him, never got to know him. Um, but there, I do cherish those people cause you, you just don't have to, they know you, yeah. you know? They know you. They knew you in elementary school. They knew you in junior high. They knew <laughs> they knew you when you got married and then divorced and then got married. You know, <laughs> there's a long it's history true. in that. Yeah, it's, it's it's true. And I, you know, like, I mean, as I get older, I, I'm, and and every year, and this isn't like one aha moment that I had in my life, but every year along the way, I, I'm um, more um, appreciative of the people that are around me because I see, you know, as we get older, it, it happens more and more, you, you know, you lose people and it's, ju it's just part of life. It's part of what makes life so precious. But, you know, the older I get, the more appreciative I am to those around me, especially my elders, because, you know, the clock is ticking on us all. And, you know, at, at some point it's going to run out and you know, those moments in between are, are really the things that cherish, you know, it's mm -hmm. life. I mean, at some point, you know, it's uh, like I said, the clock's going to run out and it's, it's how you get to that point and, and the relationships and the people that, that you really care about. I, I think that are, is really the most important things, you know, I used to, I used to think that life was forever. You know, when I was a kid, I was just like, oh, my God, was, I'm never going to die. <laughs> I'm going to live forever. What are you talking about? Do you, and you remember how slow time went as a <laughs> child? Oh, it was everywhere. You know, like, you feel like it's going to, you're going to live forever because everything's so slow. You know, so where do you think he's now? I think he's in a place of great humor. Um he, he would have to be there. There'd be no place else that would accept it. The um, he, he is someplace where he sees the irony in everything um, because that was just what he was so great at. Um, you know, he would find humor in, in a lot of the worst things too. Sometimes you'd have to look at him like, 
ah, where are you coming from with that? But he would find the irony in something. And um, there was this, it's got to be like five or six years ago. Some, um, some caller called into a news show and it was a, uh, there was an airliner crash. I don't, I don't think it was a huge crash. It was something like it slid off the runway or something like that. People survived and it was, it was a, a, it was a lucky deal for everybody. But this guy called into the news station and pretended to be somebody from the airline and he was listed and it was a Korean airline. So he was listing the names of the pilots on the plane. Right. And one of the pilots names, and it was all a goof, but one of the pilots names was bang ding Al. One of them was we too low. Um, one of them is um, there was a couple of them and, and he just, he, he couldn't help himself anytime. Like if I would hurt myself or something or him and I together, he would just look at me like bang, ding, ow. And he would just say the, the funniest things where I, he would just catch me so off guard. I'd be sitting there crying in agony or something, but just laughing at the same time because he just had a way of finding, swimming through there and finding that, that irony, that humor in, in whatever was going on at that particular moment. So hopefully he's someplace where, um, and not hopefully, I, I'm sure he's in a place where um, that is well received. Is he the first person to pass suddenly that you loved? Oh, no, no. My sister was the first real person that, uh, that was a hard one. It was the worst. Yeah. One world. It was terrible. She was, uh, she's beautiful. Oh, it's controlling me up talking about. <clears throat> but um, yeah, she started a heroin overdose about 20 years ago. Okay. Oh. So that, after that, you probably felt like, yeah, anybody can go at any time. Yeah, well, that was a rough one for me because I, I climbed in a bottle. I, I probably drank for a year straight. Um, it was awful. I had a hard time getting out of that. And uh, it took a lot, but uh, it was a hard route. And uh, that one still hurts. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. But uh, her spirit is amazing. Um, her daughter looks exactly like her. And it's, uh, it's both, it, it hurts me when I see her, but it, it gives me hope too. Because every time I see her, I, I see my sister and her. It's, it's really tough. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like my daughter looks a lot like my father. Mm. Um, and when she was born, I was like, because I believe in reincarnation. So I was looking at her, I was like, you're not daddy, are you? <laughs> Did you come back already? Lying <laughs> <Quiet> on me? <laughs> no, it, it, was, it wasn't. But like, she really does look a lot like, so every time I looked at her, I just thought of him, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Like how much the your children can look like the grandparents or act like the grandparents or have these little weird qualities of the grandparents you know that just skipped a generation <laughs> that's true you know like um my son is uh taller than me he's, he's got me by like eight inches you know and uh i i get that from uh well i think he gets it from um my grandparents on my father's side because they um, they were both taller, you know. But me, I'm I'm all five six, you know. My brother's maybe five seven or five eight, something like that. He's a little taller than me, but not a lot. And uh, it's funny when you see my son and I together. I mean, it's not that he towers over me, but you know, at five six, it, 
it looks like he towers over me, especially <laughs> boots or something, you know, it's, I'm always like, Hey, what's going on? You know, but that's how that stuff works sometimes. So why would someone want to pick up and read your book? Well, I think it's a story of, um, I don't want to say redemption. It's not that, but it's a story of really why you should keep the people that are close to you, close to you. And, and as I get older, I've mentioned this a couple of times, you know, we take a lot of people that are close to us for granted. Sometimes we think it's like, Oh, it's just mom. She's bothering me on the phone again, or, you know, whoever it is, Oh, I got to take this call and endure this for a while, you know, but in reality that that could change that quick, you know, and not for the better. And so the story is really a, a creative way of, of trying to lure the reader into discovering for themselves that, um, that these people that are in your lives, you know, whether they're, you know, close family members or, or friends you've had for long term or, or whoever they may be, you know, these people that are in your circle of life, um, you, you can't take them for granted. You know, if you love them, you need to tell them that you love them from time to time because tomorrow might not be there. You know? Right. Right. Make sure you tell them every time, every time, every time. Because I'm pretty sure the last time I talked to my father on the phone, I told him I loved him. So important. That was the last words he said to me and my last words to him. So thank goodness <laughs> I got that covered. <laughs> I, have a, um, I have a cousin. And in fact, I mentioned him in the book too. I tell this little story of him and I when we were kids throwing Super Bowls around and getting thrown out of a diner for doing it. And um and he's he, he's from his his mother and my mother are sisters and they're two completely different people and he comes from a family that they're not very i don't want to say they're not very loving because that's not really true but they're, they're not very expressive um they don't express how they feel they don't ever tell each other that they love each other and um but every time i talk to him you know be it on the phone or whatever you know i always tell him that i love him and i can hear him he, he catches his breath for a second it, it, it's it makes him stammer for a second but he always says it back and i just i think it's one of those things where i might be i might be forcing him to say it a little bit you know? <laughs> but not really I, I think he wants to but he's always caught off guard by he's like oh, he's like yeah I, I love you too billy I'll, I'll talk to you you know and but it's it's something i i always do with him. yeah i think it should be more normal to tell people you love them you know why not yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, life is short. I mean, there's going to come a day when, you know, I'm not here anymore. And I don't know, you know, maybe somebody will remember me because I said it. And, you know, it was, um, it was, uh, it was meant, you know what I mean? It's, it's one thing to just say it as, you know, casual, but it's, uh, you know, if, you, if you're telling the people that you really, truly, dearly, dearly care about, that you love them, they know it. And, you know, they they walk through that relationship with you in confidence that, yeah, you know, and, and come what may, you know, I know this person's got my back. This person loves me because I've heard it a thousand times. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like I connect with a lot of people and I've made friends and I felt like I loved them after a week or two of, or a month or, you know, whatever it is. I'm like, I love this person. This person is a great person in my life, a wonderful friend. And, you know, 
Say people say you love the people you love. Don't hold back. It's so important. It's yeah. Important. And uh, you know, again, that's one of those things that I, I'm not going to say I discovered it recently, but uh, you know, it, it, it took a while. You know, when I was a kid, you know, my parents would tell me they loved me, or my grandmother would kiss me on the cheek. I'd be like, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> you know. But uh, I, I would give anything for that kiss again. You know, it's just one of those deals you know and that's and that's uh you know one of the things that makes life so precious again is that at, at some point you know it's over for some people and and you know you got to take stock in these people and, and going back to the book i mean that's what i was trying to say in in that story is that you know look around you you know i mean you, you've got some people in your life it doesn't matter who you are you, you have some people in your life that are cornerstones of that life. Either they gave you life or they've been there with you through the life or they've guided you or, or you've walked with them through darkness or there's, there's so many different ways, you know, that it can manifest itself, but those people are there and it, it's so important to, to acknowledge them. And, and also, you know, within yourself to acknowledge that, you know, I feel this way about these people and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure that, you know, make the phone call or, or pay attention or, you know, even when they call me and they ask me to, you know, come over and help them with something that, you know, I might think is ridiculous. You know what? It might be an hour or two to burn with someone that I might not get another chance to burn with them. You know? Yeah. And I think of people and when I think of them, I try to share how they came up in my mind. You know, like I look at Instagram videos and I'll be like, oh, this friend likes cats and this made me laugh out loud and I'll share those. So I don't know if that's corny or not, but it's kind of my way of letting you know, hey, I saw this and I thought of you and I thought you would enjoy it, you know? So that's the kind of person I am though. Yeah, how many cats do you have? I have two cats. Uh, I've got one, his name is Ulysses and uh, I, I... I have this thing with cats. I, they have such a personality. I, I almost sometimes think I see people in them. I, I don't know how to explain that. Yeah, I've got very nice kitties and when very friendly and sweet and people, my mom, when she first met my cat, Timmy, she said, this is the nicest cat I've ever met. <laughs> And I was like, you know, there's nice cats out there. <laughs> My grandmother had a really mean cat named Tom and he would never leave her room. And you had, he would like sit in the corner of her room in the dark and you would, and here I'm a kid, you know. So I have to walk by her bedroom to go to her bathroom. And I was always like, is this cat gonna jump out and kill me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kids' imaginations too. Like, oh my gosh, it's just I could feel his, you know, just the, I don't know. He um, he he didn't like anybody but her, so he never left her bedroom. <laughs> my grandmother had one, and uh, the cat's name was Spooky, and towards the end of her life she was she was she was still she had her faculties together but she was forgetful and she would feed this cat instead of like once a day she would just feed the cat and feed the cat and she would make the cat lunch like people food and 
and towards the end, the cat was like, I he, bet. Was, he was so <laughs> big. Like sometimes I see the cat, I'm like, oh my God, the thing's going to explode, you know? But <laughs> that's what grandmas do. They feed you. Yeah, the, the older one's a little chalky, but he does enjoy eating. So hard to put a cat on a diet. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Hollywood, for coming on the show and sharing your story about your friend and your book it's called The Ashes. And that's available on Amazon, right? It, uh, the paperback's on Amazon as well as the Kindle version. And then there's uh, the audiobook version I just released last May. Um, that's on Audible. So, uh, and um, it's available in all three places and it's a, it's a great little story yeah the audio version of it's it's kind of cool too because i i narrated it myself i did it in my voice and uh it's something that was also a major learning experience for me because I, I, it took me nine months to narrate this book and not because of the length of it or anything but just because of i had no experience doing it and when i first narrated it, it sounded so bad i realized there's no way i could present this to people so it took me months and months and months to get it but uh but it sounds pretty good and it's a, it's a great little story. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be the guy that actually narrated it too. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And you're working on a, on a book now. Yes. Uh, I'm working mm -hmm. on a follow-up. I bring back my buddy in the book. So anybody that's out there is going to beat me up about it. I, I couldn't help myself. I had to bring him back because I miss him. And uh, so he's back in the book. In the new oh, book. good. We'll keep writing about him. Cause it seems like he's, he's like your muse. You know, like he inspired you to write the first book and, you know, maybe that's his role now in the afterlife is kind of serving as your creative inspiration. Well, you know, I, I tell people this a lot, uh, you know, especially people that were close with him too, that I, I kind of know, and maybe, maybe they're casual friends of mine, but they knew Alan very well, you know, so they were close with him. But when anybody asks me about this, I, I say, Alan gave me the greatest gift that you know, he's ever given me and, and, and a greater gift than pretty much anyone's given me except for my wife giving me my children. But this is just such an incredible gift because I, I tried to write things like this, like anything in long form. I've written poetry and stuff like that. And it's all cool. It's, it's great. But it was never really a full-fledged story that I, I, I could tell. And uh, Alan gave me that. And it was something I was looking for for a long time and uh, eternally grateful. Beautiful. So do you have a website or a place where people can contact you? I do. Well, I'm on Instagram as, uh, as, as two people on Instagram, actually. I'm on Instagram as Hollywood Capone. And I'm also on Instagram as Bill Capone. You can find me there. Or I'm on Facebook um, as Bill Capone. And also on Facebook as uh, The Ashes, which is the book's own, its own Facebook page. Okay. And, and if anybody wants to reach out and, and say hi or anything like that, if they read the book and you know, they have any questions or commentaries or are curious about what's going on in the next one, I'm open to giving out little tidbits here and there. And uh, I look forward to finishing that. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll uh, consider having me on again if I get that all together. Yeah, definitely. Come back. Let me know when you're done. And I would love to hear about the new story. And I enjoy talking to you anyway. So um just um it's been a pleasure and i look forward to seeing what you come up with next
uh, thank you so much for having me on the show too. It, it's the pleasure is all mine, and uh, the conversation has been great. And um, and you're such a gracious host. I I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Check out our website on tinakinneyclark.com. Also, we're on Facebook and like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.